Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, now? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. This is Jam Session, the podcast version 275, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained, people. As I don't know that we were either dazzled nor entertained by the Dallas Cowboys in preseason game one in Denver. We've got thoughts. Yeah, we've got some (laughs) thoughts. Don't worry. We're going to share a lot of thoughts with you. Pretty much kind of... This is going to be a tough season, but it's preseason, Matt. Okay, you know what? Hold on. Before we go into this, we got to tell you about Robert Greening. We got to tell you about the Green Team because at least they will they they can make you feel good. They will take care of you. They can be a positive in your life if you've been hurt in a car accident, <laughs> if you were injured on the premises of a business, something of that nature. You got to get them on your side. I did it over a year ago. I'm still working with them. I am telling you. What they're able to do for you with the behind the scenes crap and handling the insurance companies and all the stuff that you have to go through with this process when you're in a car accident, they're fantastic. They are your fierce legal competitor against these insurance companies. Yeah, man. There's no reason why if you're involved in a in, a, in an accident with a truck, if you're involved in an accident at a business or anything similar to that, there's no reason, no good reason why you shouldn't pick up the phone, dial 972-934-8900, 972-934-8900, and tell the green team your circumstance. Now, I did this for a friend of mine last uh, last week. She was in a car accident, a uh, pretty serious thing, a couple months ago. And she was trying to settle it herself. And she called me. She said, what's the name of those people you told me to call? Because she didn't call them. Yeah. Oh, well, she, I gave them the number. She called them. And uh, she said, yeah, they've taken me on as a client. And I said, hey, it's a long process, but they'll grind for you. She said, yeah, they sound great. And, but the point is, now she doesn't have to worry about that other insurance company that she's been haggling with for the last couple months. Why? Because the green team will take over. They'll make all those calls. They'll do all that dirty work. They'll lead her through the process, her and her family. And, you know, they'll, they'll grind because they don't get paid unless she gets paid. That's exactly right, man. Same thing that I've been working with them on. I'm telling you, they are what you need. It's the green team. It's Robert Greening. Jacques gave you that number, man. That consultation's free. It costs you nothing to give them a call and find out if you've got a case. 972-934-8900. Robert Greening, call him now, offices, Dallas, Texas. I know it's the preseason. I know it's preseason game one. 
But the fears that we had, and one of the things that we had talked about going through the course of the offseason, I get the starters didn't play. I think maybe like Gallimore played a little bit. You know, Tyler Biotish played like 15 snaps. There were maybe two or three starters who, who got a little bit of time. So I understand that. I understand that basically 19 out of the 22 main starters didn't even step foot on the field. One of the things that you looked at at this team, I think, in the offseason was there is not a lot of depth at certain positions where you are an injury away from this going right down the shitter. One of those we thought was wide receiver. And and honestly, the depth of this team, that's what was on display to me on Saturday night. This team has no depth. No, I mean, a lot of teams don't. Most teams in the NFL are top heavy. But what happens is you're relying on your draft classes from the previous three or four years to provide that cheap quality depth. And, um, you know, Cowboys have had some good drafts. They've had some bad ones. Um, You know, and so that's why they seem a little thin. But a lot of it is, as we all know, it's that wide receiver position, man. And that's their own damn fault. And I ain't got got a single shred of sympathy for them. My God, they're in trouble. And and I don't know how Steven and Jerry can watch what we saw on Saturday night and sit here and act like, oh, we're fine at the receiver position. If CD had played, we would have been fine. Whatever excuses they want to throw out there, they don't have what they need at the receiver position, and they're not going to have it for the first month of the season. Because Gallup, again, if he starts the season on Pup, he has to miss the first four games. Yeah, okay, Dennis Houston that they're high on had that third down conversion on like a 20-yard catch, whatever that was. Nice. They were all high on Jalen Tolbert. Jalen Tolbert had what? I think two catches for 10 yards while the main group was in there with Cooper Rush. And he had he that key like, drop. Bro, he looked like a third-round rookie. <laughs> exactly. He looked like a rookie wide re- He looked like a guy who hasn't ever played in the NFL before, which is what they all look like because that's what they all are. Right. Now, see, if he was a first-round pick, then he, then you would have a different stand. You say, hey, you need to come in and contribute to this, this, and this. Um, a third-round wide receiver. Michael Gallup had a really good rookie year. Um, and even he caught like, you know, 30 or 40 passes for, you know, four or 500, 600 yards. You know, Jalen Tober is not going to be the difference between winning and losing. I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't see it like that. And so they got problems at receiver, bruh, and they're just going to be amplified because let's keep it real, dog. Any defensive coordinator who's earning a paycheck is going to say, hey, somebody other than CeeDee Lamb is going to beat me. Yeah. Uh, we'll double him. Double him and a half if we need to. Let's let one of these other guys beat us. And if they can't stretch the field, it's just going to constrict and uh, make every throw underneath tight. And you're right. Dalton Schultz will catch 100 balls for 670 yards and six touchdowns, and who cares? Yeah. And, and I mean, again, we've talked about this. When Lamb didn't play and Noah Brown didn't play, they went into that game on Saturday night. They don't have a single receiver who's ever caught a pass in the NFL currently without Brown and Lamb. And they wanted to get those guys experience, but it looked like kind of how you thought it was going. I, I got to be honest with you, man. Like, like I came out of that game feeling worse about this team, trying to consistently remind myself it's the preseason, this doesn't matter. But then again, all the things that we had concerns about, and, and when you don't see the starters, you really don't know. There's no way to know. But some of the things and some of the pieces that you're going to need or that you're one injury away from this person playing a shit ton in the season – on display and seeing it in NFL type scenario in NFL action. Granted, it's the preseason. I, I don't know that anything stuck out to me as a real positive, to be honest with you. 
Uh, they made some plays against the run. Their run defense was pretty good. But, again, man, um, dude, it's the, the offensive problems, even though they were backups, it's like you should be able to move the ball. You should be able to look like an NFL offense, and they didn't. And, uh, you know, I'm not ready to say everything's a disaster. I'm close, but I'm not ready to say that because we'll see. At some point, the starters will play, and we'll get a better gauge. But you're not, you don't feel any better in practice because they got their ass kicked in practice by the Broncos. Yeah. And then the Broncos showed up, and their, and their backups beat the hell out of them. And so you're just like, all righty then, where do, where do we go from here? But I think these problems going to show up for a minute, bro. Um, I, th- I think this was just a terrible idea this whole offseason. Their whole offseason plan to me was just a terrible idea. And I said from the jump, I don't mind being wrong, but it sure looks like it's a poop show to me. It does. And, and I didn't see anything in preseason game one that's going to change my mind. And again, all we can do is react to what we've seen. Yes, it's the preseason. Yes, things may change in week two, week three. We don't know. We'll see. But all we're reacting to is what we saw. And the one thing that jumped out, and this jumped out to everybody, multiple people that, that listen, you guys were tweeting at us. I don't give a crap if it's the first preseason game or not. When Mike McCarthy said that they made it a point to focus on discipline and to focus on eliminating some of those stupid pre-snaps and the penalties they got last year, and then they go out in their very first preseason game and commit 17 penalties, <laughs> I sit here and I throw out my hands and I go, okay, even if you got your ass kicked, if you had had four penalties, I'd be like, man, okay, so they've really cut back on penalties. 17 penalties in a preseason game. 17 penalties. It's atrocious. It's the same as it was last year. Where, where's the difference, Mike? No, nah, and, uh, you know, like, some of them are just like, I mean, what are you going to do, man? Offsides on boss man fat on a, on a field goal attempt of 57 yards. That's a, that's a joke. Yeah, the false start on the fourth and one that pushed him back. I mean, right. it, and, then, and again, and then what do we talk about with, with the, the rookie first-round draft pick, Tyler Smith? And sure, one of them, maybe it wasn't a hold. The problem was, and I saw John Owning talking about this on Twitter, his hand placement, when you don't get your hands correctly, refs see that, and so they throw a flag. And so, yes, he's young, but this is a dude who got called for holding twice when he came into the league with, my God, you got a whole ton of holding calls on you in college, and this is an offensive line that had a lot of problems with holding last year, and then you see it in the preseason game, and you wonder, okay, Mike McCarthy, you told us that, oh, those were easy penalties to fix, and I know it's just the first preseason game, but are we going to start fixing these things? You know, at some point, you uh, they, they got to get fixed, man. At some point, they got to get fixed, uh, and it's just like, well, damn, when's it going to happen? So let's see if they can. Okay, surely they're not going to have 17 in the uh, in the next game. You know what I'm saying? So the improvement will come there. But Tyler, Tyler Smith's got to get that thing fixed, brother. Otherwise, it's going to be a problem all year long. Yeah, and, it, and again, I mean, he's a rookie, and you try to sit here and say, well, how are we going to react when you're watching a preseason game? But this is all you have to go on. And we had Chill on in our last episode, Clarence Hill Jr., you listen to him. He's he was out there in Oxnard, day in and day out, seeing these guys. He was there in Denver, and he was less than enthused, basically saying, you know, there's not a lot of wow to this team right now, and it kind of sets up. And then you're hopeful that maybe something will click. It just hasn't clicked yet, and it feels to me like we're getting all these signs and we're hearing all these things, 
but we're still counting on, well, it's Dak and it's CD and Zeke's going to be back and Tony Pollard's going to come in. And, and man, uh, Micah Parsons is a beast and will be defensive player of the year. And you're just grasping onto all that when everybody who's been around this seems to be telling us something's off here. Yeah, now I will say, I think a change is going to take place this year, which is I think they're going to be much more of a defensive team than an offensive team. Typically, they're built around offense, and maybe this is the year they're built around defense uh, because I, I really just think their offense is going to struggle all year. Um, again, hopefully I'm wrong, but their offensive line is shady, and then the, the, this is a passing league. That's why the Amari Cooper move was just dumb. Yeah, It's a passing league. And so you're in a passing league, but you ain't got no receivers except one who's never been a number one guy. And, and while we all expect him to be really good and do great things, he hasn't done it yet. Um, I mean, it was, that's why I said this whole offseason has just, just kind of – it's just been a weird take on it, man. And it started with the Amari Cooper. Like, you knew you were going to lose Cedric Wilson. But to give away Amari Cooper when you didn't have to yeah. – Save some cap room for later. I mean, that's, I mean, it's just dumb, bro. It is. It <laughs> is no dumb. way to say it. Yeah, and, and now the reality of it is, and we all got to see this on full display, that they're young. They're very, very inexperienced. They don't have impact-level guys right now. Again, could they develop into that? Could Jalen Tolbert become somebody in the next year or two? I'm sure he could. But I don't know that they drafted Jalen Tolbert with the idea that he's going to go into the season as their number two wide receiver, and now he's going to have to because of the injury to James Washington, because of the injury to Gallup, and none of it makes sense. And you're talking about, and you look at this offense last night, or Saturday night, rather, and here it is. They had 66 plays. They barely cracked 300 yards. They did 4.8 yards per play. I mean, this is not... I think you're right. I, they did 4.6 yards per pass, which is atrocious trash. <laughs> it's, it's terrible, man. And, uh, you know, you're trying to figure out how's it going to get better on offense. And so, okay, maybe the offensive line gets better. Uh, maybe they can, you know, the scary thing to me is, is who is that? I think it was Clarence. It's like, well, they're going to try to be more of a running team this year. Really? Yeah, he did say that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Yeah. It's a passing league, bro. And, you know, if if your boy, um, uh, I almost called him Clancy Hill, <laughs> but I, I meant Ezekiel Elliott. If Zeke were 2016 or 2017 or 2018 Zeke, okay, maybe you can do that. But he's a dude who's closer to the end of his career than the beginning of his career. He's coming off of a couple of tough seasons, and so you can't sit here and go, Oh yeah, this is this is a guy now who's going to be the linchpin of our running tack, and we're going to build around him because that part is done. They said I mean, go now for he could be a good player for you, but he's not the kind of guy you build around anymore. Yeah, and yeah. it's it, it's it's rough, man. This watching that last night because again, I also let's keep in mind it's not like Denver was playing starters. That was second and third team guys for Denver that was whipping the hell out of the Cowboys second and third team guys. Like, yes, like Denver's bro. Denver's backups and non-starters looked a lot better than the Cowboys' backups and non-starters. Now, I'll give you the run defense. That's fair. I think they had like 39 yards on 22 carries or something like that, and the Cowboys really shut them down. So maybe you're right, and this is swinging defensively, but, you know, the Denver wide – it's not like Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutland were out there. 
They weren't running around. Denver was running around with a bunch of spare dudes, too, and they looked a hell of a lot more comfortable in what they were doing with Josh Johnson and, and their trash backup quarterbacks throwing in the ball than the Cowboys did with their group of scrubs. Bro, and that to me is the scary part because, you know, it wasn't just a sloppy game like you expect the preseason game to be. They really felt like they got dominated. <laughs> and, you know, even though it was 17 nothing at one point until they scored the late touchdown, you're just like, Really, bro? I know, man. Jeez. Yeah. Dumb penalties galore. Drive stalling, drops, miscommunications. And again, it's weird to me, and we've seen this before. We all know that this is Dak. I mean, if Dak isn't going to play, this is a 2-15 and team. I mean, Cooper Rush and Ben DiNucci are trash. I have no idea how they're on NFL roster. Well, maybe Will Greer is supposed to be the backup. Maybe he is. And, And he was injured. He's got a groin, so he didn't play, but... I, I mean, Cooper Rush's ability to just hang around this league with really not much going. <laughs> and Ben DiNucci, I'm just saying, I, I get it. It's the preseason. You know, we all overreact to the preseason because you get hungry for it, and it's finally something that we can talk about, and it's tangible. You get excited, and then you turn it on, and you see that, and you're like, my God, this is boring. What I watched oh. last night was boring. Oh, no, no doubt about that, bro. I mean, you have to have a reason to watch preseason football. Uh, even if it's your team that you that you love or the team that you follow, uh, you need or the team that you cover, you need reasons to watch and things that you're specifically looking for. Uh, otherwise, it'll drive you crazy, brother. Yeah, it will. And it drove me crazy last night. And, you know, try, you, you again, you try to be like, OK, well, what about Turpin? Is he going to show us a flash of anything? No, nah, I didn't really see anything. What about Jalen Tolbert? I was excited to see him. No, nah, I didn't really see anything. What about Tyler Smith? OK, you know, I'm not an offensive line guru. I read a lot of stuff about him this morning. All I saw was the two holds. He got beat once that that caused an interception. And for the most part, he did some decent things. He's a work in progress. I understand all that. But he's a first-round pick that you need to contribute pretty damn quick. Yeah, and you took him over some guys who could uh, contribute pretty damn quick. So, you know, that's, that's the deal. So, again, you don't get any sympathy from there. You took a guy who had from a group of five school in the first round, who had the problems that he had, then it is what it is, man. It's interesting because we got a lot of comments for you guys, and I had just tweeted out while I was watching the game on Saturday night. I just put, we are trash. Just because I was frustrated, I couldn't believe how stagnant the offense looked. And so some of you guys, like uh, Torres here tweeted, and he said, it's the team, not just the head coach. Greenville Crow tweeted in, says, looks like our new left tackle still knows how to get penalties. (laughs) Wow. Scott said they'll never win another Super Bowl as long as Jerry Jones is the GM. He needs to hire a football guy. And again, like he's and he says, or give it over to McClay. They basically they have given it over to McClay. I mean, it's you know, we've we've talked about that before. Mohammed says the agony continues for another season. It is just the preseason, though. Brian tweets in this whole organization is undisciplined, consistently gets outcoached, outclassed, and outplayed. And I, I can't disagree with any of these comments. And again, yeah, we may be overreacting to a preseason game, but this is all we have to go on. It's almost as if what I thought might this team might be was was justified. My thoughts were justified last night because I don't think that this team has enough. And I don't know that we saw anything differently. And yeah, you didn't have the starters, but point being, as we talked about with the wide receivers, 
we talked about this and then we we went off when James Washington got hurt because we had spent the whole offseason. And it feels like they're that that's what's like this offensive line right. is another example of that. What if Tyron Smith, who I think left practice the other day early, what if Tyron Smith has to miss four or five games again this year with an injury? Then who are you putting in as your swing tackle? <laughs> is Tyler Smith going to have to literally play left tackle? And if that's what we're looking at, then some of what we saw last night, some of these guys that are coming in, I don't think are on the level where there is a significant drop off. Not just like a, hey, you're a backup, but give us a game or two. I'm talking about like, my God, you're a hole in our lineup because we don't have the pieces we need behind our starters. Bro, and it's, uh, that's why, you know what you have is a feeling of anxiety, a feeling of, uh, of being unsettled because you're like, what I saw looks really, really bad. I yeah. need something to calm me down and make, make me feel like it's not as bad as it looks. And frankly, this ain't the place to come for that. Uh, <laughs> no, it's you not. know, I mean, it just it's just not. Uh, instead, you can you can look and see, you know, like, I mean, it's just bad, man. It it really is, and uh, it's it's not about being overly negative. It's just about you it's know, rea- whole, it's reality, man. We're being realistic, yeah. I think. And it's this whole off season that really not a lot has made sense to me, and you know, I've seen it, you know, since 1995, fairly up close and personal. Uh, and very rarely have I seen an offseason that just made no sense to me in terms of approach. But but here we are. This is one of those. And, dude, they're going to they're gonna have to have a little bit of luck, uh, especially offensively, to make it happen. Like, I was sitting up here thinking on the drive back because I got back from Jackson today. I was there most of the last week. And I was just thinking, because you could do that on a six-hour ride yes, down you can. 20. Indeed. Down 20. Like, so uh, we're looking at Tom Brady. Um, Joe Burrow. Mike Ev- Mike. No, I'm just talking about the, the Tampa Bay. You're okay. looking at Tom Brady with Mike Evans and that collection of receivers he's got. And we're comparing them to, you know, because they added Julio Jones. And we're comparing them to... Yeah, it's, it's Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage, Julio Jones. Yeah. And we're comparing... And I was like, so who gets the edge? Who gets the check in the edge box when we look at Dak and CeeDee Lamb and whoever, whatever other guys, right. named Joe, that they throw out there? Because now they're trying to tell us, oh, Noah Brown's sensational. Noah Brown's this, Noah Brown's that. I'm a Noah Brown guy. He's a Buckeye. I'm a Buckeye. I mean, it's been six years. Noah Brown hasn't done much, and he's had plenty of chances. I mean, he's a he's a guy who's got really good hands. Yeah, really, and like he can catch anything, but he's got average speed, no separation. He's a little bigger, and so yeah, he can go and catch you some underneath stuff. But he's not gonna bust nobody ass. I hope he does, but you can't sit here and expect it because he's never done it six years in the league. Yeah, man, and and I think when you start looking at it at that level, and that's part of what I'm talking about, which is what you're describing here, like like even defensively for me, that secondary last night, what if Trayvon Diggs gets injured this year? And you are forced to, your next guy up is most likely either Kelvin Joseph, boss man fat, Nashawn Wright, who got torched a couple of times last night, or Deron Bland, who is a fifth-round rookie selection this year. Those are probably one of those three guys is probably your next guy up. Well, it better be boss man fat. 
And uh, at least he was in position when he got beat for a touchdown last night. <laughs> well, that's you, good you know news. what I'm saying. You know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it, sometimes they pay the other guys. They, they make a no, play. No, they do. Him. They do. And and uh, you know, that, I think that that's where it is, is because it's easy to say, well, this is a preseason game. The starters didn't play. It'll be totally different. And it just feels like they are one or two injuries away from where they they can't hold. It, it feels like this is something that is really flimsily held together. It is, and we're talking about a sport where injuries occur all the time. Right. Like, like I feel like you might be an offensive line injury away. You're obviously a receiver injury away, as we talked about, and it happened from being totally screwed at the receiver position. And it feels that way with some of the position groups that are all over the football field where the drop-off between what they have as the starter. And again, talk, oh, it's preseason, Matt. You're overreacting. Look at Denver. Because Denver had guys <laughs> out there that were whipping the Cowboys' ass. And to me, if those were the Cowboys' backups, I'd be like, okay, well, if so-and-so gets hurt, that guy right there could come in and play a couple games. We might be all right. And just based on what I saw in game one, I don't feel that way about the Cowboys at all. Nah, bro. And it's, a, uh, it's you know, unsettling is the word I keep using because to me that's what it is, man. It's like, uh, where is it? how is it going to get better realistically? Where? Where is this improvement going to come from realistically? That's always the key. Yeah. And he's just like, I don't know. Uh, now, maybe we'll get a surprise. But, dude, I like, I, like, I like known quantities. I hate relying on surprises. I mean, somebody will surprise because, like Steven said, hey, we didn't know we had Micah last year, and look what he turned into. Okay, kick ass. You might have that guy, but if you can have that surprise – you also have to be prepared for the idea that you could have the bad kind of surprises too, where the guys that you thought you could rely on, you can't, and you've got a massive hole. Bro, they never they never tell us that. No, and they, they don't do that, but I mean, I, I just, that was a real downer last night. That was a colossal downer, and I get it, and I'm going to keep validating, yes, it was a preseason game, the starters didn't play, but I was, I can't believe how ugly I thought that they looked. Yeah, see, I think that's the thing. Like, you really looked overmatched in the preseason game, and we weren't looking overmatched. You know, it was all those, all those penalties and all those other things that just made you go, "What the hell? It can't be this bad yet." Here it is, looking this yeah, bad. You know what? I think that's what it is, because you know, if if, if it had been like a, if the offense had done anything and you still lost, and it, and it looked like you were at least competent doing something. Or maybe some of the young receivers made a decent play more than just an 18-yard third-down reception, and you didn't have 17 penalties where it looked like just a, a repeat of what we saw last year, very sloppy, very undisciplined, boneheaded dumbass penalties in the same boneheaded dumbass spots that we saw last year, maybe I would feel differently. But I think you're exactly right because you get to this point in the preseason and you look so overmatched and so undisciplined that, yeah, it's a preseason game, but hey, man, the regular season's three weeks away. Bro, it ain't that far, dog. I mean, th th this is okay. Well, the, the, McCarthy's, oh, this is great. This is a learning experience for our guys. Well, okay. And I can listen to that again for another week or so, but at some point, like you pointed out, Jacques, Tampa's coming, and they're loaded, and they've got pieces. And then guess what? The week after that, you've got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. They're coming in here. I mean, it's not. It, this doesn't get any easier. I mean, now is the time. You can either figure out these problems with undisciplined penalties, or you're going to be staring zero and two in the face going on the road to play the Giants. Right. It's um, you know, we can only hope it gets better because it can't be much worse than game one. 
No, it can't be. And that's the thing. It can't. And thank God that was. Can you imagine if that was the regular season opener? I would. I would be sitting here convinced they're going 0 17. I'm trying to think if I've seen a regular season opener quite like that. Yeah, 28 to three, San Francisco. I mean, that was an ugly, ugly, ugly game. And I don't and they care. They turned that whole season oh. around. Okay, well there you go. See. <laughs> And you know what? The Ravens still haven't lost in the preseason. It's not like they're pumping out Super Bowls. Right, right, right. I mean, but, I mean, let's let's keep it real. Uh, they got to look a hell of a lot better uh, in week two, which means they got to get some work done um, this week. And, uh, and, and guys have got to play better, man. And, again, they didn't play any of their starters of note. So they should look better. But, again, the problem is the starters ain't look good. In, in Denver, and really the offense hadn't looked that good in training camp, according to people who've been there. Yeah, and see, that's the problem is when you hear that, even with the starters and the disconnect and the receivers, and then you see it, you know, we can all go, well, Dak wasn't playing. But, man, I mean, that conversation we had with Chill on Thursday, I was like, my gosh, he is not yeah. painting a pretty picture. No, and I'm not sure that there's one there to be painted because – I mean, bro, duh, we've all seen a lot of football. And we know if the offensive line yeah. is shady and your receivers can't separate and create big plays down the field, it's just going to be a I mean, it's going to be a challenge all year long, man. It's going to be a lot of ugly football. Well, it's Saturday night and they're at it again. They've got the Chargers in week 2 on Saturday night. It's a late one out there on the West Coast. We'll all be paying attention to that. And then, obviously, they wrap up the preseason on Friday, August 26th against Seattle. So, two more games to, to maybe show some more positivity, show a little bit more continuity. And, and really, even if you, if you lose to the Chargers, cool. Can we just have, like, eight penalties instead of 17? <laughs> like, McCarthy should go in, but guys, eight or nine penalties in a game is a lot. But let's, let's go for that. Let's just go for eight or nine instead of 17. Bro. That's ridiculous, man. It, I don't even care if it's a preseason game. You should never have that. And guys that are going to play in the NFL should never commit 17 penalties in a single game. No, and, your, and your coach no. shouldn't, like, laugh it off and, like, shrug his shoulders about it. Bro. Yeah, I mean, it's just terrible, man. It is. We're screwed. Whatever. <laughs> and I don't want to be this way, man. I want to believe. I want to believe there's a Super Bowl coming. But I, it just sure as hell doesn't feel like there is. And that's just how I feel. I don't know what to tell you guys, man. That's nah, how I feel. It it, you know, Matt is, Matt is usually the voice of reason and optimism. I know but, I am. <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard to get it this year, bro. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So let's hope for something different next week when we watch the second preseason game. of like, okay, this was, that, this was better. This was different. They, uh, let's hope for that. That's where we're hoping for. I yeah. can tell you what you should be hoping for is that you have ordered your bruise biltong and that it is on the way. Because if you have... All of your worries, all of your stresses about the Cowboys will go away and you will be focused on a tender, savory, delicious bite. Bruise Biltong, my friends. That's what you, you know what? I need some Bruise Biltong right now to make me feel better. It's like beef jerky, but it isn't. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. It is delicious. If you haven't tried Biltong yet, go to BruiseBiltong.com right now and try it. Seriously, it's really good. No, I'm, I'm down with it, bro. Um, I got number love for it. It's uh, it's succulent. It's savory. It's sensational. You like the alliteration there, and I love the fact that what 
It's got 30 grams of protein in a two-ounce pouch, brother. That's right, man. That is loaded with protein. It's super healthy, no artificial ingredients, zero sugar, and the best part of it is you get 15% off when you use our promo code JAM15 at checkout. Whether you're first-time orderer or you're ordering it again for the 15th time, use that promo code JAM15, J-A-M-15 at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your order at bruisebiltong.com. It's B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G, Bruise Biltong. Eat it. Also brought to you, of course, the podcast made possible by Freeway Tire Shop. You need tires? He's got them. You need an oil change? He'll take care of you. You need extensive mechanical work and something you didn't even know? JR, man, his crew. Jacques takes all of his vehicles over there because when JR touches your car, He's like a Casanova of cars. He touches them <laughs> lovingly. The cars trust him. JR can speak to the cars. Dude, um, for me, man, I don't work on them, so it's about trust. I mean, it's like going to a doctor, really, except it's for your car. And so you want somebody who can diagnose the issue. They do that. Boom. And then you want somebody, bro, who can what? Put quality parts on your car to fix it so that you don't have to come back. And then you want somebody who will charge you a fair price. JR and Freely Tire does that. And then finally, man, you want somebody to stand behind their work. Everybody doesn't. We know this. They do. So when you when you check all those boxes, there's no reason to go to anywhere but Freeway Tire to get your car fixed. That's exactly right, man. It's easy to get to just north of downtown Dallas. If you are in the DFW area, I cannot encourage you highly enough. You have got to get over to Freeway Tire Shop online where you can schedule an appointment. You can request a quote at freewaytireshop.com. So let's take this trip around the block and got a couple of things to throw out here for you. I think I, I was telling you about that the Predator prequel called Prey that came out on Hulu. And uh, yeah, I watched it last week on Thursday night, I think, after we were done recording. And I got to tell you, man, it is, if you like Predator the movies, because there's been so many of them, this is a really, really good Predator movie. I mean, keep in mind, it's a Predator movie. Don't expect to be, like, blown away. This isn't the greatest acted or best written film of all time. But right. it's really well done, and they do it where... So Predator arrives, like, in... It's probably, like, the 1700s in the middle of Comanche territory. And so it's a Comanche tribe that he ends up encountering and whatnot. But what's interesting is it kind of gives the vibe that this is like a rookie predator who is going on his first hunt because he, he fights like at one point he tries to fight a wolf and obviously he can destroy the wolf. Like it's nothing, you know, and he, right. he's, he's like trying to find like different animals and different things to hunt, to give him a challenge and stuff. So that part of it was kind of interesting. It's a little slow at the beginning and there's not a lot of dialogue because they're right. showing kind of the Comanche life and the girl living with her tribe. But once they get into it, man, I mean, it, it's obviously with the special effects that we have now, like stuff like this with the alien and, and his his ability to kill people and do different things is way better on screen than it's ever been. So, But I thought it was good. That sounds pretty good. Uh, I mean, if, if, you, if you get down with that, and uh, I kind of like the first Predator. I mean, then they started, I mean, they started being like Nightmare on Elm Street and, you know, Friday the 13th. With uh, 27,000 of them. Yeah. Uh, but the first, one, the first one was pretty good. Yeah, the first one with Arnold back when it came out, I mean, it was just so original. And it was badass. And then the second one with Danny Glover, I was like, really? Come on. 
Because remember, he went to he went to L.A. Well, Danny Glover was like a, a cop who just looked like a normal sized human being, you know? Like, that was the one thing that I thought worked really well for Original Predator was you believed Arnold could beat this thing. Right. Because he's Arnold and he was massive. Like, if they had had Carl Weathers in the first one, I, I would believe Carl Weathers could beat the Predator. I mean, he beat Rocky. He's Apollo Creed. <laughs> you know? I don't know if I'm believing Danny Glover can kill the Predator. So there, that was part of it, but... I think, you know, you go through some of the movies over the years because they did, they kind of did like a, a relaunch, the Predator that came out in 2018, which was the one, man, I think it was with Boyd Holbrook, and that was pretty good. That was actually on TV the other day, and I watched it for like 15 minutes. And then they Boyd did that Holbrook. one with Aiden Quinn called Predators, where they took like, they took them to the Predator's planet and they had kidnapped like you know the, the most elite fighters from each of the the really high level special forces to try and track down the predator and stuff that was kind of interesting but this one right right it's unique in the fact that they do it and obviously like the indians they didn't have guns so she had to do what she knew and and, and try to trick the predator and whatnot and see if she could survive it's kind of interesting um so on your movie scale what on your one to ten what are you giving it i'd probably give it a six Okay. You know, six and a half, maybe. I mean, it's not going to blow you away, but for, you know, I enjoyed it. Like I said, it was slow. There were times where it was slow, and I thought they spent a little bit too much time at the beginning before they got into the action. You didn't get enough of the Predator early in the movie. Right. But other than that, I mean, if you've got Hulu, I think it's totally worth checking out if if you are a, a Predator fan. So check it out. So the other thing that I have. This is nuts because you sent me this story. And I always wonder about this because this is the story that you sent of that dude who he and his friends wrote on a cardboard little thing. <laughs> see, I always picture you doing something like this. Yeah, see, and I don't know that I've ever done this. And it's interesting because it seems like something that I would do just to see what would happen. But this is a guy who he and his friends when they were 10 years old in 1995 rolled up a note on a piece of cardboard, put it in a bottle, and threw it into the bay down near Galveston. And, you know, I mean, when you're a little kid, you're like, oh, it'll go across the world, and some random person in Portugal will find it, and it'll be awesome. And the note, it said, if you find this, please call, and it had two numbers. And what's funny is back then, you know, we didn't know that we'd have smartphones and stuff. The note said, if not home, leave it on the answering machine. Please leave your phone number. (laughs) Yeah. And so if, if they found it years later, were you really going to have the same phone number? Yeah. And, and so this group, apparently they 27 years later found that the bottle had resurfaced and it was a cleanup volunteer with the keep Lamarck beautiful commission while picking up trash in Highland Bayou park on July 16th, he spotted the bottle dug it up and held it to the light. And he said that they smashed into it and found that the note was inside and they ended up calling the numbers, which obviously were out of service 27 years later. And so they tracked it down through a local television station. And what's weird about this is the bottle had only traveled two miles. (laughs) Like that to me is the damnedest thing. In 27 years, that bottle only went two miles down the shore. You know, hurricanes and everything, bro. And it went two miles. Yeah, that makes me wonder, it must have been one of those things where it got to a point 
where it never got pulled out, you know, to see. Yeah. And then it just got stuck, like maybe slammed into the mud and it just got stuck there for forever. Yes, I could see that. But it just seems amazing. They sent that. There's been hurricanes and thunderstorms and (laughs) monsoons. It feels like all this other stuff down there. And they ain't gone with two miles. Yeah. And and they found it. And now the guy, you know, they've got the note back. And he was like, oh, yeah, this is my note from 27 years ago. And took a picture of it and framed it and everything. (laughs) It's kind of nuts. I've never done that, though. I've never. That I recall. I don't believe I've ever written a note, put it in a bottle, and, like, threw the bottle into the ocean or whatever. Bro. Um, I don't know. You should do it now or next time you're on the water. Are you on the water ever? Mm, I haven't been. I mean, the, the Gulf Shores is about four hours from Birmingham, and I haven't been since I've moved back. So I haven't been to the ocean. I mean, I, I might go on a lake or a river, but I haven't been in the ocean in a long time. Well, I can't say that I have. So. What do you but mean? Next time I am, maybe I'll do that. When's the last time you went to the ocean? I mean, I was on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, let me see. Uh, last time I was in California at training camp, so that was what a couple years ago. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I guess. Yeah. Seemed like was I at the? That Atlanta. was last time. Seemed like I was. Seemed like oh, I was at. Uh, I was in Galveston a few months ago. So I you could have done dropped, it then. I could have dropped it then. You could have thrown a note in a bottle and discovered somebody really cool across the world. At least then I feel confident that it would have gone at least to Mexico. Yeah, you got. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't know. Like, what's the end result of that? It seems like it'd be really cool when you were a kid. Like when you get older, I don't know that. Well, I think like, I think neat. they had the best result. You throw it down there as a kid, and somebody twenty years later finds it. Now that might be cool to like put something in it, like like I don't know, like a. You know, like a Cracker Jack box toy or something neat. Like when the person finds it, they're like, oh, I got this cool token or something. I don't know. They put $100 in there. <laughs> Call me if you get this. Can you imagine somebody gets it like, oh, and, you know, that, that seems like something like, wasn't there a movie called Message in a Bottle that Kevin Costner was in where it was something like that? And Yeah, it was. Uh, I remember that movie. Yes. Yeah, Message in a Bottle, 1999, the film with Who Kevin Costner and Robin like Wright. Kevin, Kevin Bacon's wife, right? Robin Wright, well, Sean Penn's wife. No, Sean Penn's wife. I knew it was somebody's. Yeah, yeah Paul Newman was like in it. it. She yeah. was her own person. Okay, and so, yeah, wasn't it like they found a letter or whatever and they received it and they fell in love because they found the message in a bottle or some crap? Nah, bro, I can't. I ain't gonna lie to you. I remember all of that. I can't remember. But, but that seems like somebody would write a movie about that. Like, oh, my God, I... I, I was out for a walk in May in France, and I came across you, message in a bottle. <laughs> and now we are lovers. I called the number with a hundred dollar bill. I can see that. That'd be kind of awesome. Not. <laughs> you never know, man. It'd be cool if it did, but hey, yeah, you never know. Yeah, you never know. So our next story here is one that Jacques runs into that obviously I could never possibly experience. But it, it's, it's happened to you because you go back and forth from Jackson to the Dallas area fairly often. And right. that means that you are driving through Mississippi quite a bit. Right. And Mississippi, for those that don't know, has a little bit of uh, a little racism in it. Yeah, you, you don't want to say everything is racism, brother. But I was, uh, I was riding around. And uh, I've I've recently uh, leased a new car. All right, 
It's a Camaro. It's a convertible. Okay. All right. That's pretty All fancy. Right. So I'm I'm making a run to Target. Very, and it's dusk, but it's turning dark. So I'm running to Target. It's just up the street, bro. And so I'm getting off the highway, and it's one of those deals where it's like a that U-turn that you can take without going to the corner to the light. And I'm, you know, I'm in no hurry. I'm not doing anything. I'm literally just running a couple errands. And I actually see the police car ahead of me, which is, and it's kind of parked perpendicular, like it just yeah. stopped somebody recently. And so, I, and mind you, I'm making a U-turn, so there's no possible way I'm speeding. I see the copper there, so not that I wouldn't ordinarily have my blinker on, but I turn my blinker on. And I'm talking to my dad while I'm doing this. And uh, I'm, I make the U-turn, and, uh, and I'm on the straightaway now, about to pull into a Target about a quarter of a mile down the street. I see these flashing lights behind me. I say, well, Dad, I'm about to be pulled over for driving while black in Mississippi. How about that? I, I'm sure that's a shock to you. And I pull in the parking lot, and uh, I say, hey, let me, let me hit you back. And uh, the officer walks up, state trooper. And you know me, I know the situation, so I got my license out. Yeah. I'm calling up my insurance on the phone, handing my license. This your car? Yep. <laughs> uh, he doesn't say anything about why he stopped me or anything. And then, uh, so then I show my insurance. This says your insurance started on June 13th. Is that when you bought it? I go, I don't know, bro. If, if that's what it says, and that's what it says. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's what I said. I said, if that's what it says, and that's what it says. He says, okay. And then he starts running my tags. And uh, I can, because the window's down, I can hear the woman on the walkie-talkie come back in about 45 seconds. Yeah, it's uh, registered to a Gene Jackie Taylor. Well, that's a very poor pronunciation, but clearly <laughs> Did that's... Did he really say it like that? No, nah, that's what the person on the other end is saying. Because, <laughs> you know, that's a very poor pronunciation, a, but a clearly Gene that's Jackie. me. That's clearly that's me. Oh, my God, that's awesome. Um, and, and so after she tells him this, he's still looking at the tag and studying it. And then he walks up, and this is where it gets funny, because now I'm about to stun on him. Because he's got nothing. So he asked me back. My license back. All right, have a good day. I said, so you're not going to say why you stopped me? Because I wasn't doing anything. Oh, well, you got paper tags on your car. And in Mississippi, you're only allowed to have those for seven days. I said, well, you don't know how long I've been here. And the tags are good through the end of the month. Well, we just run them when we see them because we don't know. How long you've been here and we try to find out <laughs> what in the world and then i start uh and again i'm stunting on him now because i'm pissy and you can't really get in a real pissy fight with a cop because you're not going to win it i go well i just got here i'm not gonna be here long i'm doing some work at jackson state and i say that why matt because then i know he'll ask me what i'm doing yeah he said oh but you got to hear this oh that's a that's a good school. I, w I went there. 
I don't think you went to Jackson State, bro. <laughs> now, Jackson State does have some white students. I find it hard to believe that you were one of them, bro. I said, oh, I'm working on a, a couple of different writing projects for Coach Prime. Yeah, you know, Deion Sanders down there. Oh, 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 yeah, big fan of Jackson State. They got a really good team. How are they doing this year? I don't know, bro. You can read some of my work and find out. All right. Uh, then, he, then he says, uh, okay, thank you. And he walks off. But I'm just like, this kind of shit you got to put up with, bro. He had nothing better to do than just bother me on a, uh, I think this was a Friday night while I'm out running a couple of errands. And that's the kind of shit that gets on your nerves, man. Yeah. I I can't imagine because I don't know. No, it's just a pain in the ass, bro. That is That would be a pain in the ass. I mean, that is for sure. That's funny that he said he went to Jackson State. Bro, come on, man. Stop. Maybe he doesn't even know. Do you think he knows what Jackson State is? He probably knows. And he probably felt a little stupid. And so then he was just probably trying to bond a little bit. But I don't want to bond with you because I don't like you. <laughs> Fair enough, man. You know what I mean? Because you're just yeah. fucking with me for no reason. Yeah, it's wild. I haven't I haven't been pulled over in a couple of years now, which is know. you know. But I, it's weird. I was thinking about this the other day because I was driving around. I was like, I, we, you know, we just drove to Oxford, Mississippi, which is about a two hour and forty minute drive from Birmingham, and, and we're on and we're on twenty two, which is the interstate that goes from here to like Memphis. And right, it's funny. Like I might have seen one or two cops the entire time, like highway patrol people. Right. And you always wonder, like, it's interesting when, when you see one, like everybody will hit their brakes and they freak out and whatnot. And I just keep mine. I just, I generally drive like seven or eight over on cruise control and I don't even adjust it. I just go by them. I'm like, I mean, if you're not going to give me seven or eight over, what are we doing? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think tapping your brakes is just a habit people have. Cause I yeah. have it. Uh, I have adopted that philosophy when I make this trip to Jackson. I, I literally do what you say is I put it at I don't even put it at eight. I put it at seven over and I just ride. And uh, sometimes it's a little annoying because other people are zooming past me and you feel like, yeah, I could go faster. I'm not bothering anybody. But again, and I'm, I'm just telling you all how it is, man. Uh, when you're driving through Louisiana, rural Texas, East Texas and Mississippi, you just don't need to have any encounters with the cops uh, because the odds of them being for you are not very high. And, and I'm not going to assume that they are. And so the best way I deal with them is not to have any dealings with them at all uh, because all it takes is one fool to just create a situation that zooms out of control. Because uh, that, that also happened to me in Mississippi. I told you all about that last year. Yeah, this yeah, dude was like one, yeah. uber aggressive from the jump. And dude, I didn't do anything wrong. And if I did, it was a normal traffic violation of a turn. It wasn't even a, a speeding kind of thing. And he was just all this super aggressive. Yeah. You know, I mean, just out of control, over the top, extra. And so, you know, I de-escalated that one because, you know, again, you're not going to win. Uh, and so, dog, when I'm making these trips, I just, like you said, bro, I put it on cruise control, seven over, and just ride. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's a, not worth the hassle. And then what drives me nuts is people who don't use cruise control 
who like I'll just be maintaining my speed for an hour straight and then some dude will come flying by you and then you end up passing him and he flies by you again and then you end up, and I'm just looking over there going I haven't even changed my speed and you're <laughs> so you know what are you doing? I know I'm like my god and they get right on your ass and they zip around you and then you end up passing them again and I just want to like sometimes I just want to roll down my window by cruise control use cruise control you will not have these problems cruise control is your friend yeah, and it helps. Like, I don't understand why people don't use, like, it, I don't know why people don't use cruise control. I have no idea why you wouldn't use it. Um, Some people, some people, they just need control, bro. I guess, man. But, like, if you don't have to push your foot on the gas and you can, like, if you're going on a trip of, like, a couple of hours, you can just put it on cruise control and just, like, coast, man, and make it easy I'm, on yourself. You know, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of it. I, I wasn't always, but I am now uh, a big fan of it. Um. You know, but, uh, you know, what can I say, bro? Yeah. A, uh, I, I live to tell about it. Not every, not every encounter with the cops does a black man live to tell about it. Yeah, that's very, very true. So I'm glad that you're here with us. <laughs> I'm also glad, of course, that Smokey John's Barbecue is here with us because, man, it's about as good as it gets. It, whether it's the jam session bowl, whether you want to go in and you're looking for something on the secret menu, like the jam session bowl, like the Steve White or you, you see the menu and you're like, man, I, I hear about the Jam Session Bowl, but God, this stuff on the menu sounds amazing. It is. Like anything you go in and get at Smokey John's, you're going to absolutely love. But I've always thought it was really cool that they created a menu item for us that's a secret menu item that's only available to those of you who listen to the podcast. Like you have to be a podcast listener to even know that it exists. Bro, I feel so dumb. I was driving in from Jackson today. And I go, oh, perhaps I will have my last jam session bowl for the year. Whoa. Or for a long, for a moment today. And so I rolled through there, had my mouth all watered for it. I said, yeah, I always go with the mashed potato base. Maybe I'll go with the mac and cheese base today. I said, I always go with brisket and sausage. Maybe I'll throw ribs in there. And if I don't, maybe I'll get a rib sandwich just because I want some ribs today. That sounds delicious. Dude, and then I pulled in the parking lot and go, there's no cars here. This is not a positive. <laughs> and then I remember, because I, I actually went to church with Brent. Yeah. Brent and Juan own it. Yeah. And uh, me and Brent went to the same church for years. Uh, and I go, oh, I forgot. They're closed on Sunday. Yep, you missed out, man. And I don't know if I'll have the same feeling tomorrow. You know, you're going to have to. You're going to have to go by and get it. But Jacques, don't make the mistake Jacques made. Get your own jam session yeah, ball, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just not on Sunday. Go get it. Yeah, it's fantastic. And if <laughs> if uh, if you if you're not in Dallas, you still get a taste of Smoky Johns, man. You can go to the website, hit uh, in the marketplace. You can get the rub or the sauce that Matt likes to drink straight from mm. the bottle. Be in your house in a couple of days, and it is fantastic. The rub you can use on anything, literally anything. Is that good? And then the sauce, like I said, Matt drinks it straight from the bottle. That's all you need to do. I have done that before, and I use it a lot. Like, I'll put it on my turkey sandwiches and stuff because I love it. Their sauce is insane. But Smokey John's Barbecue, it's in Dallas. If you're in the area, swing by right there off Mockingbird. Check them out. Smokey John's Barbecue. You're going to love it. And go get the jam session bowl. Make Jacques jealous that he missed out. So before we wrap it up, I wanted to throw this out here because over the weekend, the Texas Rangers had a couple of inductions into their Hall of Fame. These are two interesting cats, one of which is in, and I, I would imagine that you have some stories as well, but 
So they put in their, I guess, like their director of public relations, John Blake. Good dude. Very good dude. Very interesting guy. I, I mean, I didn't really know he's a him. Quirk. He's a little quirky. <laughs> quirky's a good way to describe it. <laughs> you know, he very, very good way to describe that. He handled things, I think. It's really interesting, the fact that he got into the Rangers Hall of Fame because anybody who's ever been like in the media or anything, I mean, you've had interactions with him a million times. And that press box, man, that was his like domain. <laughs> I mean, my God, if you ever spoke above a whisper, Blake would come over to you and, and you know, this is a work environment. <laughs> You'd be like, God, John, calm down. Like, geez. <laughs> it got to the point like he, he would say something to me every so often that I just stopped going to the press box and I would just go and sit out in the outfield until after the game to go down in the, into the locker room to get audio and stuff. But Is that right? Yeah, because like, I, I just I, I don't like watching games in press boxes. Okay. It's just not my thing because, like, you are a reporter. I was always, like, the guy the ticket would send to get audio or whatever. I wasn't trying to write a story or some crap. Right, so right, right. I, I wanted to enjoy the game, and it was hard for me when I'm watching my teams play to not get excited. Like, oh, a, a walk-off grand slam. Yep, can't celebrate. No, I get that. I get that. But the other addition to the Texas Rangers Hall of Fame is none other than one Ian Kinsler. And Ian Kinsler was an interesting dude in my experiences with the media. As a matter of fact, Ian Kinsler is probably the one athlete that I used to love watching him play. And then when I started going into the locker room, it, it colossally turned me off on the guy. Well, he's just an unnecessary asshole. That's a very good I mean, way. To, he was an unnecessary yeah. asshole. Yeah, I mean, he really was. He's not a bad dude, for real, because earlier in his career, he was really cool. And somehow, at some point, he just turned into this asshole, man. And uh, to me, he turned into an unlikable dude, just just a douche. And he didn't start off that way. He really didn't. And um, I don't know what, I don't know why he changed, but he changed. And uh, like I said, you know, he's a really good player. Yeah, he was. Really good. Not a great player, but he's a really good player. Um, but, dude, he just became such a douche at the end of his time in Texas, man. I was just like, fuck you, dog. Yeah, man. I mean, I he mean, was. It's not, that, it's not that serious. He was on a level that I have not experienced. And, and I know that, like, guys used to tell me that Will Clark would do stuff like that and, and would screw with the media back in the day. You know, but I was never around that. And I loved Will Clark, the player. And my brother, because Kinsler is a member out there at the golf club that my brother works at, and he's like, man, he's like, you know, Kins is like a, a, a cool guy, super nice to me. He's like, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he really is. All I'm saying is, in my experiences with Ian Kinsler, that guy was a colossal douchebag. Yeah, On purpose. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it's too bad because he didn't have to be. Uh, it's not like, you know, um, people were going out of the way to rip him and all this other stuff. No. But at some point along the way, he became anti-media, which is weird because his boy is Michael Young, who is, you know, as good a media dude as you could ever hope to be around. Um, but uh, he be, once he became anti-media, man, he was just... He was anti-media. I mean, on purpose and... You know, Michael Young, because they had lockers. They, they were either right next to each other, but they're on the yeah, same side of the locker room. They were normally right next to each other. Yeah, and that's what would be so weird is that Michael Young, no matter what, no matter what the loss was, no matter what the situation, Michael Young would address the media and would have class and would look at you. 
And then half the time, Kinzer would be over there in the background saying something stupid and inappropriate so that you would record him so you couldn't use what Michael Young would say. Yeah, and that's, you know, that was the... uh that was the shitty part, man. Like, if you don't want to deal with it, fine. But, you know, don't affect everybody else from doing their job. Yeah. Because nobody's out here trying to stop you from doing your job. Um, and, you know, the media and the team, they're always, you know, it's always a working deal and a work in progress. And everybody's trying to find out how to make it work for everybody. Uh, but, you know, he he's just such a jerk at the end, bro, for, for no reason. Because um, I was looking at his career. And for the first uh, 10 years of his career, bro, he was, uh, he was a hell of a player. And that, that took him from 24 to 34. And, you know, you, you expect somebody to slow down at 34. Yeah. Uh, but during those first 10 years, man, he averaged 19 homers, uh, 72 ribbies, hit 277, and, and was a really good player. Didn't strike out a lot, averaged 32 doubles a year. Yeah. 154 hits, 96 runs. He did that for ten years, man. That's a that's a that's a hell of a run. And then you can tell he lost his bat speed because in in thirty he was thirty four in twenty sixteen. He hit two eighty eight uh, with twenty eight bombs. Next year he hit two thirty six uh, with twenty two, and then um, the next year he hit uh, two thirty nine, then two forty two, and then he ended up in San Diego hitting two seventeen. But for a guy who was really around 280, 290 his whole career to dip to 236, that's clear that he lost his bat speed. Yeah. And he couldn't catch up on those fastballs anymore. And that's okay because he had a hell of a career. Yeah, man. And, and he was, I mean, with him and Elvis, man, in, in those World Series teams back in the day, you know, that battery up the middle with Michael Young, obviously. But, I mean, Kinsler and Andrews, he had a little something, man, and and, and – you know, I think he made the, like three or four all-star teams when he was with the Rangers. And, I mean, for a couple of years, that infield the Rangers was rolling out was, was legit. I mean, they went to back-to-back World Series. And I loved him. I loved the way that he played. I loved the high socks. He showed the stirrups and all that. And that's yeah. what the, he was that one guy, man, that I just could not believe. Wow, like, really? This is who this guy is? <laughs> it's, you know, it's, uh, like I said, uh, Early on in his career, you go over there and chat him up. He's fine. You can talk all day. And then, you know, my last real encounter with him, when I was just like, bro, you ain't, you ain't, you're not good enough where I have to deal with your bullshit. Because by then I was a columnist. And, uh, you know, I was in spring training where it should be laid back. And I was, hey, I wanted to ask him something about some stolen bases. And he just took it to a whole nother level. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, you're saying I can't run anymore? Da-da. Like, bro, like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> it's just like, you tripping. That's what you're doing. You're tripping. And so, I, you know, I didn't really fool with him much after that. Yeah, and, and I don't know. It's interesting because I do think, like, Ian Kinsler, the player, definitely deserves to be in the Rangers Hall of Fame. A lot of those guys that were on those teams are going to wind up in the Rangers Hall of Fame. You know, you talk about it, people forget, and – like until that group came along, the Rangers had never won a postseason series, let alone get to the World Series. Right, and and that was the whole thing. Like I just remember being a kid that I love a team that's never ever going to play in the World Series, and I was okay with that, you know. And then along came '96, and they made the playoffs for the first time. Well, people forget that as good as that group was with Pudge and Juan Gonzalez in that group, 
You know, and Juan Gonzalez, people forget Juan Gonzalez and Pudge Rodriguez won three out of four AL MVPs in the mid-90s. Because yeah, bro. people forget that. Gonzo, Gonzo won in 96 and 98, and Pudge won in 99, and they, they never won a playoff series. They won, I think they only won one playoff game, yeah, because they won that, that first year in 96, they won a game, and they were swept by the Yankees the other two times they played. I mean, this was a franchise that was 1-9 all time in the postseason until that 2010 team that went on the run to the World Series. Bro, uh, yeah, people people really, you know, they forget how good Juan Gonzalez was, man. Dude, he <laughs> he was an you know, absolute his career batting animal. average is two ninety five. Yes, he was freaking. Re- he won two MVPs. He was really really good. And I, I don't mean, know, like people. That's what was so weird about that nineties Rangers team is everybody talks about the Yankees and yeah, and rightfully so. And they knocked them off, man. But the Rangers, the Rangers had about a five-year window there where they were really damn good. They just couldn't get past the Yankees. Yeah. Oh, Gonzalez had a stretch from 91 to 99. What is that? Eight years where he averaged, averaged 37 homers, 117 ribbies, 86 runs. I mean, he was a beast, bro. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I think it was the 98 season where he had, because Hack Wilson's all-time Major League record for RBI in a season is 191, and for a right. while early in that year, he was on pace for that. Yeah, he ended up with 157 that year. I mean, that that's a lot, dude. Like, people, I don't think people realize, you. he was, for a couple of years, I used to love Juan Gonzalez. And, it, well, had, it, and they never could turn it into anything, for whatever reason. I don't know why. He had another four-year stretch from 96 to 99 where he averaged 43 homers, 140 ribbies, while hitting 314. That's insane, dude. (laughs) Oh, and 36 doubles. 36 doubles, 43 homers, 140 ribbies, while hitting 314 from 96 to 99. I was, I mean, you know. And, you know, I don't know what happened to him, man. He got spooked by the stadium, and then he did, like, other guys have done, bro. He took more money to go to Detroit, I think, and it was just a disaster. Yeah. And he was he was really never the same player after that. No, he wasn't. <laughs> and obviously, I mean, that Rangers group just fell apart that was, you know, back there in the mid-'90s. But, man, it's funny when you, when you think back at some of those teams that they had back then. I mean, that 96 team where really they kind of opened the door to what they uh, you know probably could have been I guess for that that little run that they put together man I mean people forget they had I mean that's when Pudge was in his prime and they had Will Clark and you know Mark McLemore Dean Palmer could slug at third base man god Rusty Greer remember he was such a beast and and Juan Gonzalez my boy uh, because Rusty Greer and Darren Oliver were my boys because I was in a clubhouse the day that they showed up to the big leagues in 95. And uh, obviously they didn't know anybody, and uh, I was just hanging, and so they just became my boys. Or maybe it was 94. Whenever they showed up, I was there the first day. And so, I mean, you know, I was looking for new people to talk to. Yeah. And they didn't know anybody, so I was like, okay, I'll bond with those guys. Well, you know, Rusty Greer is from Albertville, Alabama, which is like right up the probably about 45 minutes to the northeast of here. Kind of wild. Yeah, it's, it's weird looking at those 96 Rangers. They had, 
They had five pitchers that all won 11 games or more, and they had four pitchers that won 14 games or more. They had Ken Hill, Roger Pavlik, Bobby Witt, and Darren Oliver all went had at least 14 wins. Yep. God, that's crazy. Yep. Ken Hill is my boy, too. Yeah, yeah I, I covered the Rangers a lot back then. <laughs> God, and they were so good. I love that team. One of my best memories of all time, and I might have told this before, but when the Rangers had that first playoff game in 1996 – that was the same night as a homecoming dance for Garland High School. And this girl had invited me to go to her homecoming dance with her. And my dad comes home and is like, hey, I've got tickets to the Rangers' first ever home playoff game. And I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget this because I, I remember sitting there and I was like, okay. I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. First ever home playoff game for the Texas Rangers. Or I can go to the homecoming dance with this girl that I'm super into you know, if I don't go with her, she's going to be upset. I mean, what could happen? And it was like a question in my mind. Like, I'm, I'm sitting there going, what am I going to do? And how's this going to turn out? And my dad goes, he goes, look, I'm going to tell you something and remember this. He goes, this game you'll remember for the rest of your life. That girl, there'll be a lot more like her. And the way he said it, I could tell. Wow. And it wasn't, you know, so like I'm kind of paraphrasing, but the way he said it, I remember being like, I'm going to the game. And now, obviously, looking back, I'll ne- I was at the first ever Texas Rangers home playoff game. So I was what'd there. The, what would you tell the girl? I told her I was going to this playoff game. I got her some flowers, and that was that. And I don't think wow. we really did much after that. But, I mean, again, it, it, I, was, you know, I was in high school when that happened, so it's not like that was some colossally important moment in my life with her. But the fact to be able to go and do that, to see them play in the playoffs for their first ever home playoff game. Right, right. I mean, that was something else, man. I'll never forget that. It was a Friday, Friday, October 4th, 1996. Damn, clearly you're never going to forget that. Yeah, I mean, there it was, man. I, no, people forget because remember the, the series was tied 1-1 going back to Texas and the Rangers were up 2-1 to one going into the top of the ninth. And the Yankees came in and scored two runs in the top of the ninth and ended up winning the game 3-2. to two. I mean, the Rangers oh, were that man. close to the 96 Yankees and that dynasty never happening. What a kick in the crotch that was. No, I don't remember any of that. No, oh, man, I'm telling you, I'll, I, I will never forget it. Because the Rangers, they won 90 games that year and the Yankees won 92. I mean, they were both. And you just, sometimes I wonder, what if the Rangers had won that series? Would they have gone on to be this dominant team of the late 90s that the Yankees came? I don't know. Good chance that they very well might have. I mean, they, they had a really, really damn good young nucleus, man. And they just couldn't get past the freaking Yankees. Mike Henneman, remember him? He blew that yeah, save bro. two to one and blew the damn save. He came over for Detroit. He was supposed to be the closer who locked things down. Well, he didn't lock him down in that one and he screwed us, asshole. <laughs> no, I'm wow. kidding. I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's probably awesome. I forgive you, Mike. It's been a long time. We've still never won a World Series. Yeah, but we had a cup of coffee and I'm like that. Man, we did. And and I mean, can there is there possibly what sports moment could be greater than your team going to the World Series for the first time with your former hated player Alex Rodriguez looking at strike three for your team to win the pennant? I mean, that was such a perfect moment. Doesn't get much better than that, brother. It does not. And that will be a <laughs> podcast. Man, what a rabbit hole of memories that was. Shit. That was fun. Yeah. Hell now yeah. you can say that. It's okay. 
We started off with all the irritations and frustrations of the Cowboys, and we ended up with all the irritations and frustrations of the Rangers. Great. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you got to love, love your Dallas teams. That's how we yeah, are. Yeah, I didn't realize that was Mike Hinneman's last year in, in the big leagues. Yeah, after that, I guess he, he couldn't get it done anymore. Okay, no, I, I, I know that we've already talked Cowboys, but I got to throw this out here real quick because Mishota just put this on Twitter. What's it? Week one preseason game penalties. The Cowboys led the league with 17 for 129. Next closest, the Eight. Patriots with 12 for 89 yards. Okay. The Cowboys well, had good. five more penalties than any other team that played in the preseason this week. Yeah, but they're in good company with the Patriots. <laughs> there you go. All right, so awesome. The Cowboys lead the league in something after week one of the preseason. Hell yeah. And Mike McCarthy just shrugs, shrugs his shoulders and says, has nothing to do with last year, but y'all write what you want anyway. Oh, okay, fine. Then, bro, we will. We'll yeah. take up that challenge. Kick ass, Mike. Can't wait to see Sean Payton here next year. <laughs> wow. All right. We'll talk again later in the week. Enjoy your week. Cowboys preseason game two. We'll get you ready for it as we continue throughout the week. Have a great one, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.